everyone and welcome to the Highbury Hangout podcast. In today's episode I want to be having a post-match chat all about Arsenal's 2-2 draw against Manchester United away. Let's get into the nail biter. I want to get started with a match report especially considering it was on Sky Sports. Obviously obviously you might not have access although the highlights are now up on arsenal.com. So for me, the first thing to note is that straight from the whistle, Arsenal was showing fight, which I think is something we lacked a lot against Liverpool. So, as I say, big relief. There was impressive moves, especially from Plover, and she really poached Ella Toon quite a lot, although in all fairness, Ella Toon made some pretty good recoveries. Arsenal opened the scoring with a counter-attack, which I think was really key to how we set up as well, but more on that in the analysis. So, Lesia Russo, on her first return to United, it was big drama, picked up the ball in her own half and turned really effectively on the ball, enabling Catley on the left. Catley then threaded it through to Blackstenius, who was able to slot it into the net. And it was a pretty impressive goal. Of course, any goal to get past Merit Earps normally needs to be a pretty decent level however the lead only lasted 10 minutes it was a lovely 10 minutes though unfortunately it was a very very cheap goal to give away and I'm sure Sabrina D'Angelo does not want to review it in her post-match either but essentially attempting to clear out she came out of her net towards Leah Golton and she literally just missed the ball. She didn't. She wasn't able to get her foot to the ball. Leah Golton very quickly was able to get it through and then naturally scored. One thing I did notice, if anyone's watched the replays as well, is that Ella Toon was already arms up in the air celebrating before it hit the net because it was that good of a, like a effective moment for Leah Galton like she saw the opportunity and she went for it as you would but I think just heartbreaking for Sabrina D'Angelo. Despite the messy kind of moment, I would say that Sabrina definitely seemed affected for a few minutes, which I think is natural, but she definitely pulled herself together. She kept her head high, which was really vital for the rest of the game. So, and Arsenal also carried on with that determination. Steph Catley, especially at this point, I felt really put in a shift. Both sides went on to have really high pressure spells and it did feel quite even, to be perfectly honest. The draw felt like quite a natural result of the game. Arsenal then made a triple substitution, bringing on Kate McCabe, Frieda, Leonard St. Mornham and Caitlin Ford. And I think they all brought that immediate energy, that immediate impact that was really needed. Despite some really big shots from Leslie Russo on her return, she wasn't able to score, although she did hit the post and force Mary Earps into a few saves. Unfortunately, it was United who scored next via their new signing, Mallard. Again, uh, it's annoying to say, but I think it was a pretty cheap goal to give away. And then, despite the continued pressure, you were starting to be like, oh gosh, it's going to be one of those nights for Arsenal, which I think we saw a lot of last season. That Lots of creation, lots of talent, but just unable to get that final finish, that clinical finish in the box. However, on comes Chloe Lacasse with a note. We'd love to know what that note says. And she scored a screamer, slotting it into top of the net, unable to... Uh, Mary Earps was unable to get her hands on it. Arsenal now look, of course, to a home game at the Emirates once more, this time against Aston Villa. And there's already 28,000 tickets sold, and hopefully that number will start to really push. I think it would be a real shame if kind of the experience that people saw against Liverpool had an impact on the sales of tickets. Looking at the table, obviously, it is very early days. We are in 
week game two situation however we now sit ninth which is very very close to the relegation but as i say i don't think it particularly means anything at the minute interestingly leicester continue at the top followed by liverpool and then manchester city so as we can see this is unlikely to remain the same and also you think like how chelsea um are also not really really pushing although they obviously are on more points than us at the minute so definitely early days but i think it's very fair to say that this game this draw has kept the title hopes alive so let's start at the very beginning for the analysis it was an interesting lineup when it came through to be honest there was some big calls there was six changes from our game against liverpool first eyes obviously get drawn to the goalkeeper we had Sabrina to Angelo in goal as opposed to Manu Zinsberger. Now, the first thing I would say about this is Manu Zinsberger and Sabrina to Angelo were rotated a lot last season. And I feel like it's very easy to make this look like it's part of a narrative of, oh, Manu's not really performing at the minute, therefore Sabrina is coming into goal. I do think that it needs to be acknowledged that Jonas Eideval very much rotates his goalkeeper based on the opposition because we have two goalkeepers who have very different skill sets and I truly believe that Sabrina's skill set just matches the opposition of Manchester United better than Manu's. We also saw quite a bit of an overhaul in the back. We had Leia Kadina and Amanda Elisette both starting. However, Arsenal did retain the kind of box shape of the midfield that we saw against Liverpool. Pelova and Volti at the base and then Little and Russo put out as wide tens, which obviously was a different scenario though. And also very interesting that Russo isn't automatically being used in that kind of lone striker top of the pitch kind of situation that we've seen her for the Lionesses and definitely for Manchester United last season. So that was really interesting and I think you could really tell that this lineup was very much based on the counter-attacking threat and also how Arsenal like to press. After the game, Man United manager Mark Skinner said we could have gone to a back five to deal with it, but Man United, we are Man United and we have to attack, which I thought was quite an interesting perception to take on it when they were clearly struggling in quite a few places to kind of deal with the situation. But essentially, Arsenal's game was all about exposing United in the channels, and I do think they did that very, very well. And I also felt that Pelova was really effective in looking after the ball in those tight spaces that were kind of left around. And as a result, I think that the tactical thinking behind this game was spot on, and ultimately, we just gave away two cheap goals. I do feel that United were going to score just because of the talent that they have and also we're now starting to see um how we, Williams comes on quite often for them in the final few minutes to get that like the aerial threat and so such in so I'm not saying they wouldn't have scored but I do think the tactical plan was really well thought out looking at man how Manchester United play however unfortunately it was just cheap goals However, looking at the other side of the argument, I do feel that we should have scored more goals because when you look at the creation and the talent of our side, it wasn't the inability to get the ball in the box or get the balls in dangerous areas. It was simply that clinical finish. And I do worry that we kind of saw this last season and I truly thought that with all the new signings, this would not go away because, you know, not every goal goes in the net or else football wouldn't be that exciting, would it? But 
it is interesting to see, although I'm kind of assuming that this is about the embedding process of the new talent and also as we get used to playing in these new formations which are very fluid as well. So I do think that's going to be something really interesting to monitor over the course of the season, how clinical Arsenal really are. Another interesting way to consider the game is obviously the possession and I do think this shows how likely the draw outcome was because Manchester United had 55% possession whereas Arsenal had 45% so it's like very very even. Obviously it was a hugely nail-biting game to see, say the least for both teams involved and it, it was almost like a finale like end of the season type clash and I do think it's interesting that there's such big clashes so early on in the season obviously in this week we we played Manchester United but Man City and Chelsea also played each other as we now know that was a draw which I think is hugely beneficial to Arsenal and also I suppose you could say beneficial to Manchester United as well anyone going for the title because of the sharing of the points as opposed to one having all three I do think it is better but I thought some of the comments after the game were really interesting so Obviously, I think, so say some people like, oh, it took years off my life. And I felt essentially alluded to the same after experiencing those two goals in 12 minutes and that kind of situation. Um, so Mark Skinner, after the game, kind of said that his smartwatch will probably tell me I've had a heart attack or something. You could see a little bit of pressure on Jonas's face with the way he celebrated. Kind of similar to that, Jonas said that if his Apple Watch was subsisting on low battery mode, um, so apparently he's having some issues with his Apple Watch, hopefully he gets that sorted out soon, and then he said, so he said, if Apple would sort out their battery issues, I would be very happy to provide you with my heart rate. So, some fighting talk from a manager, which I'm kind of obsessed with. Jonas also spoke about Chloe Lucas's late winner, saying, for her to come on and to show that confidence, I think that speaks volumes about us as a team and what environment we provide for each other. Prior to the game, Jonas had actually spoken about the goalkeeping situation, saying that there wasn't a set number one at Arsenal, which is very, very similar to Mikel Arteta and his approach to Aaron Ramsdale and David Rea, at least on paper at the minute. And he also went on to say that he's not adverse to changing a goalkeeper in the middle of the match, very much saying that they're essentially the same as outfield players and they shouldn't be looked at differently when there's changes. Now, something that's really kind of drawing attention to me is the whole... Is it already too late for Arsenal to be making up for lost time? Obviously, we saw this very, very much with Manchester City last season. They ended very, very strongly, but because they struggled so much at the start, it was already too late. And this is obviously because the WSL season is so short, especially when you compare it to, say, the Premier League or something. And I do think that is also why these clashes, so this draw against Manchester United, for example, is so much bigger because it's really, really important to be taking points from each other as well as teams that you are so-called supposed to beat. Now, I do think this is obviously only two games, but I think if we don't start winning soon, it could definitely become a problem, especially in terms of the title race. But ultimately, I think a lot of the fan speculation around that is it's a bit too soon because, you know, we've just seen Chelsea with the draw and I... Th and Liverpool at the minute are on this run however I do think we haven't yet had Champions League for the other teams come into play yet so I think there's time but I do think the top clock is ticking and also just for momentum purposes and confidence I think we need that first win and I think there couldn't be a better time for it 
than against Aston Villa at home at the Emirates. Also considering that Villa have lost their first two games, the first being to Manchester United and then this weekend being to Liverpool. And finally, I want to have a quick talk about the topic of booing and I guess fan culture. It was, of course, a very, it's just been a huge talking point on social media and also between the pundits as well, I suppose. Obviously, every single time that Alessia Russo touched the ball against Manchester United, she was booed. And a lot of people, you know, came running to her defence and I thought, hmm, Obviously, abuse isn't okay. Taking it onto social media, definitely not okay. And I did see some things that I think were taking it too far and that definitely needs to be rooted out. However, I personally don't understand this obsession to make football, women's football this, like, very safe, nurturing, kind of, like, wrapped-in-bubble wrap situation. And I think sometimes it scares me because obviously football should be for everyone it should be a safe place for every single person around I'm not saying that what I'm saying is I think sometimes we're not allowing for fan culture to really grow because we try to wrap them in bubble wrap and I personally find that really sexist because it's like they are athletes they are high high level athletes and most of them actually say that they enjoy the banter Hannah Hampton has said it you know, lots of things. So yes, it's about not taking it too far. And I think the men's game has a lot to learn about how the women's game operates in that manner. I do think that, but something that really I just couldn't stop thinking about was, and I think this is a good example because obviously that was the offer on the table. And I feel safer in saying it now because it's not jinxing because she has signed her new contract. But are you really telling me if Katie McCabe had not left to go to Chelsea and if she didn't, if she'd have made it clear that she wanted to go to Chelsea, for example, the same way that Alessia Russo has for us, are you really telling me that you wouldn't boo Katie McCabe or a player in that same situation? You know, it's not the same thing, but we literally have a song about Lee Williamson about how she'll never wear blue when we even think about her leaving for Chelsea. Not that she ever will, because, you know. So I do think sometimes people need to be like, okay, but if the shoe was on the other foot, now, do I think the constant boom was a bit overkill? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think a little bit of booing, you know, that fan culture is important to have. Definitely think it was a bit too far. Um, and also it just got a bit boring. Like at the very, very least it got a bit boring, but that repertoire about how, how like Arsenal fans then got really, really, really loud. Like they were so loud and they were so much cheering for Alessi Russo, which was amazing. And obviously I do think sometimes though you have to have the context because to me, Alessi Russo did a lot for Manchester United and I think that should always be repaid back. Um, I've also been seeing some things about how like, oh, but we would never boo Jordan, but that was a complete, that's a completely separate scenario like the context is not the same at all so I think that's also kind of silly but yeah no abuse ever football needs to be safe for everyone fans and players however I think this need to make everyone be like oh lovey-dovey you know I think sometimes we take that too far as well and that's just as dangerous because the product of football is as much about the fans and the fan bases and those connections as it is about what you're watching on the pitch. And I know that there's going to be lots of people listening to this and being like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100%. And there's going to be people being like, oh my God, no. And that's fine 
to have these different opinions, I think sometimes we just need to ask ourselves where these opinions are emanating from, especially when we're putting it through the lens of like sexism. Because I just find that sometimes we kind of coddle them as if they were children and to be like, we need to protect them. And they do need protection because everyone needs protection and to be respected. But to me, sometimes it just doesn't sit fully right. And I think this was a, a good example of how some far times we take this like coddling too far. But as always, I'm really interested to know what everyone thinks and obviously to further develop everyone's opinions and my own. So do feel free to reach out um, and kind of continue this conversation on social media. I've seen some really interesting articles about it as well. So basically, this leaves us in not great in ninth but as I say it's very early days I do think the Aston Villa game is going to be very important and this is also on the back of Jonas Eidvall signing a new deal we believe it to be a three-year deal which I think shows a lot of commitment from both Arsenal Football Club but also Jonas to the situation and I think it's also going to take away that pressure and conversation about like oh if we don't win a trophy he has to go like it does take that off the table which I think will be really helpful to the stability of the team and also just like the media situation around everyone but that concludes this episode I will have a new episode coming out all about how our game against Aston Villa went obviously I'm hoping it's a very positive three points so let's keep our fingers crossed gooners and you know we keep pushing thank you so much for listening bye